Okay, we are we are in the Gospel according to Matthew, and we are in Matthew chapter twenty one, reading from verse eighteen. Matthew chapter twenty one. Reading from verse eighteen. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except the leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, How did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will know it all you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. In all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11 cites the same incident. So the the same incident that Matthew cited, Mark cites the same in, in, in Mark chapter 11. But he he adds a little bit more detail than Matthew did in this instance. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 11, Mark 11 verse 12. And on the next day, when he had left Bethany, he became hungry. Seeing at a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if perhaps he could find anything on it. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples were listening. And then skip on down to verse 20 of Mark chapter 11. And as they were passing by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Being reminded, Peter said to him, Rabbi, look at the fig tree which you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. So this was during the time when Jesus had finally, right near the end, this is actually right near the end of Jesus' ministry. Jesus is going back to Jerusalem. He just had the triumphant the triumphant. Uh, entry, which we had talked about, where he came in riding on, on the colt of a donkey. And now he's being looked at. This is this, whenever they would set aside the lamb for the Passover feast, the lamb would be viewed for four days. They would watch this lamb to make sure that the lamb was perfect. And they would watch this lamb to see. And so Jesus had just come back, and so he's going into the temple for four days, and he's being observed by the Pharisees, by the, by the priests, he's being observed. And he was found blameless. But he would go back at night and sleep in Bethany. And then one morning when he was returning on, his, on the second day to, back to the temple, 
in Jerusalem, he goes to a fig tree that has these leaves and there's no fruit on it and he ends up cursing it. And it says, as we just read, it was not the season for figs. So I've done some investigation on these fig trees and it turns out that there's, there, there is a season with the, when there's figs on the fig, fig trees there. There's also a season where there's these other small nodules that are these fruits that can be eaten. So even when it's not the fig tree season, they're, they're also supposed to always have this, this other fruit that can be eaten. So when it's not the season for figs, they have this other fruit. So it wasn't like Jesus was cursing something that shouldn't have ever been bearing. It was not the season for figs, but it was the season then for these other fruits to be there. Jesus then, not seeing any fruit, curses the fig tree. And the fig tree withers. And he says, no longer shall any fruit ever come from you. And so, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus has something that concerns him about fruit. Is there something that concerns Jesus about fruit? About us being able to bear fruit? And I've drawn back to this portion in Galatians. If you look in Galatians chapter 5, keep your finger there in Mark because we're going to come back to it. But look in Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I tell you, I have wrestled with this passage all week. You know, every week I, I, start, I start preparing for the Sunday message every Tuesday. So every Tuesday I start preparing. So Monday is, is like my day off where I don't worry about the class. But Tuesday I start preparing. So Tuesday through Sunday I'm preparing for this class. And for this class has happened to me like sometimes happens. I get absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. I don't know if you've ever tried to study a passage and you say... Lord, I know there's something here, but now what? If this has never happened to you, it will. It just means you're not teaching enough. And then God began to reveal things about myself to me, as He often does. Because what happens is when we read the Word of God, we start to see ourselves there and we go, uh oh, <laughs> some problems. Jesus talks about bearing fruit. And I, these fruits in Galatians, I have memorized this portion long ago. 25 years ago, I memorized this portion. That the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I know it, right? Got it down, man. I, I, can, I can recite this to you. I can recite everything you ought to be doing. You know, Jesus says in this very portion, as we turn back, turn back to Mark chapter 11. In Mark chapter 11, it says, For whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. When you stand praying, forgive, so that your Father will forgive your transgressions. This is what He says to do. What does this have to do with anything? 
He says, you forgive and your Father will forgive you. So implicit within this is that you've got problems that need forgiving too. You know, there is this struggle within myself. I feel that at some stage in life, I ought to get to this point where I'm not struggling with this anymore. Where I've learned to be kind and to be gracious. You know, my my daughter was visiting home yesterday, so she had come home from campus, and and we were talking about different things, and she said to me, and, and the beautiful thing about teenage daughters is you just get the absolute truth. I mean, just they don't... They don't pull punches with anything. And she said that, that um, I don't know, we were talking about professors and Christians and different things, and she said, I wouldn't know you were a Christian if you didn't say it. The only reason I know you're a Christian is because you say you are. But you always, you know, are so gruff and mean-looking when you walk around. <laughs> and, you know, I know absolutely what she's talking about. I really do. You know, on, on Sundays, I can be really nice and I can smile, but you just see me at the normal time. I mean, you, it just doesn't appear that way. And I know what she's talking about. Because, remember I told you last week that I had said something harsh to a young lady and I was going to go back and apologize to her? I did. And she was like, you didn't do anything wrong. I mean, she didn't perceive anything in this. And I went back and, and, and uh, uh, I meant to, to apologize to her on Tuesday when she was in my class, but I totally forgot, so I sent her this email. And then on Thursday when she was in my class, I walked up to her and said it again. She says, look, there's nothing. She says, actually, you were pretty nice. So I guess compared you know, to other professors, I was, I was acting kind of nice. But I really w- felt that I, I wasn't being that nice. And God had convicted me. So you'd think I learned my lesson, Right? I learned that I ought to be nice to young girls in class. <laughs> you know, you, you'd think I'd learned, right? Well, then comes Friday's lecture, and I, don't, I wasn't trying to actually do something, and I did something that I think really may have embarrassed someone, and it has just torn me up inside. I don't even know her name. But I know I must have said, I said something that I'm sure embarrassed her, and I wasn't trying to. Then I realized what she was probably doing, and it was extremely innocent. And I had felt so bad, and you'd think I'd get past it. At some point in my life, I'd be done with this, where I'd learn how to speak nicely to people and not hurt people. You know, I, I wrote a portion, there, there's a new thing on my website, and actually we're going to rebuild my website because it's really archaic. It's, it's like, I don't know, 17 years old or something. Because I, I once, I, I've just added to it. What happened was I, I once gave a guy a C-plus in organic chemistry, and so he dropped out of school. He was going to go into medical school, and he re- realized he probably wouldn't get into medical school. And he started an internet provider service. This was just when internet provider services were coming. And it got to be the biggest internet provider service in the state. And he became very wealthy, and he was so thankful to me. If I had not given him that grade, he'd be a poor physician somewhere. And so what he did was his company built my website for me long before anybody else had websites. And that's why it's jmtour.com. You know, I had a .com website long before anyone else. People thought I had a .com website, so they thought I was really rich because at the time, there was a time when if you had a .com, you were rich. And then you became, if you had a .com, you were poor and out of business. 
But anyway, my, my dot .com has, has been there. On my website, I, I put this, this, because everybody wants to know what I think about creation versus evolution, and I get asked to speak at all these events on creation and evolution, and I hate it. I really don't like talking about it. So I wrote, I wrote like this 10-page thing on creation and evolution, my view of it, and I totally sidestep the issue, and I say, look, here's what I think, but I'm going to write on the scientist and his theory and the creationist and his science. And then I, I, just, I just start shooting at both groups because I'm actually within both groups, and I, and I shoot at them. But I, I wrote something here, and, and this, is, this is in large part quoting from, from another author. And he's talking about scientists, but then he relates it to humans. And think about this as I read it, and tell me if it isn't true about humans, all humans. He says, the fact is he is human in that he suffers, loses his temper, is tempted, often falls, is selfish, is terribly limited, envies, resents, schemes, hates, is caught up in frenzied rivalries with his colleagues, rejoices in the misfortunes of others, is in desperate need for fellowship and love, faces death any minute, often does not stand up for truth and justice, often lends a hand to slander, often is not fair in his judgment of others, often wishes others did not exist, and therefore murders them in his thought. All these common human frailties he, the scientist, is as much heir to as any other person. I mean, this is really self-condemning for me to read this. Because it is so true. And you'd think, here is Jim Tour. You know, he's been this Christian forever. And he has this lovely Christian wife. And all his kids are Christians. And, and he doesn't struggle with all these things that we do. One day I'll be like him. Well, listen to what I'm like. This is me. What you just heard is me. And I'm constantly battling with these things in my life. And if you are not battling with them, good for you. I assure you, at some stage in life, you will embrace all of these and say, that is me. Maybe you haven't lived long enough and looked intently enough at yourself to see that this is characteristic of human beings. And remember what I said last week. That we think in the future we'll be better. In the future, once I graduate, I get a job, you know, I'll be different. I'll be all set. Once I get married, I won't have these other lustful struggles and I'll be different. And we keep putting out to the future, finding each year of the future then that we live. That the old self bedevils us at each phase. That we never get past it. And it's this constant battle within ourselves to say, God... It hurts me the way I hurt this young lady on Friday. It hurts me. What is wrong with me that I didn't see it? Jesus says, you are to bear fruit. And when you stand and pray, learn to forgive. And only then will your Heavenly Father forgive you. I have so much there in my own heart. Let me read you, read you another portion from that that. Same, that, that same passage on my website, and, and it says, such, such is the fact that we are limited, we are fallible, we are mortal, we are vain, we gossip, we scheme, we love, we hate, 
We're lonely. We're anxious. We get embarrassed and then act in funny ways. We often make fools of, of ourselves and we are miserable when our rivals best us. I mean, this is the state of being a scientist. You say scientists are beyond this. No! No! No human being is beyond this. God says you are to bear fruit and your fruit is to remain. And if you don't bear fruit, you're going to dry up and wither and die. Why? Because he knows that if we're not bearing fruit and seeking his ways, all of this character that's within us is going to stay right there. And we're going to keep denying it. And it's going to end up killing us. And it's going to make us really ugly people. And what the Holy Spirit does is He comes into a life. And if you have not come to a point in your life where you can say, where you can say that Jesus is Lord and that He has physically risen from the dead, then you don't know what I'm talking about. Because it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that only then are you saved. You may be a good person, but you don't understand what I'm about to say. When you come to the point of believing that Jesus is Lord and He's risen physically from the dead, you can't have the Lordship of Jesus without the resurrection and be a Christian. Resurrection is part of the Lordship of Christ. It says without believing He's risen physically from the dead, you can't be saved. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it clearly speaks of a physical resurrection. In Luke chapter 22, it clearly speaks of a physical resurrection. He rose physically from the dead. In John chapter 20, he rose physically from the dead. The resurrection is part of this. If you have come to that point, then what happens is the Holy Spirit enters the life. And the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Because what happens to the man who doesn't yet have Jesus, he puts this aside. I don't know if I envy I don't envy anybody. I'm all right. And if I do, it's all right. What's the problem? There's no conviction there. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, the conviction comes in and says, this probably isn't good. How do you deal with envy? I think C.S. Lewis said it best. C.S. Lewis said, when I see another person receive something, I rejoice in my heart for them as much as I would for myself had I gotten it. Had I gotten that award? And I started doing that. So when I see a colleague win something, I rejoice with them. I say, God, thank you for what they got. Praise God for what they got. Look what you have given them. And I rejoice for them as I would for myself. And you know what happens? Boom! Envy goes away. And I write to them an email message and I say, congratulations on this award you got. You say, scientists worry about this? Scientists, this, this is constant. Oh, he got the award and I did this. This is the life of the scientist. It's no different than the life of the engineer or the life of, of, of the CEO or the life of the pastor or the life of whoever. We are utterly the same. Inherently the same. And you rejoice in the other person's receipt of something good. Rejoice in that. And then the envy goes away. And it's a much more relaxing life. It really is. God has so much more for us. He says, you are to bear fruit. You are to be different. 
Because if you don't, I know what all these problems are going to do to you. They're going to make you shrivel up and die. He doesn't have to walk up and say, you are cursed. You're already cursed. You're already living under a curse. And unless you allow God to begin to work on your life and change your heart, it's going to just really make you sour. Really. And you'll never get past this. In fact, it gets worse. Look at the life of David. You would think, David, at the end of his life, what did David do? He said, number the children of Israel. I want to know how strong my forces are. And he was warned repeatedly, this is wrong. This is really wrong. Even Joab, who had all sorts of problems himself, could see it and say, King David, this is terrible what you're doing. This was at the end of David's life. You would think that after his successes in the wilderness, after his seeing God deliver him from the hand of King Saul, after his sin with Bathsheba, and seeing how it destroyed his own life, how he lost child after child after child as a result of this, he would have gotten past that. You would have thought he would have gotten past this sinning, this struggling against sin. But lo and behold, in the end of his life, it happens again. You never, ever get past this point of being susceptible to a fall. You never get past this point of saying, why did I do that again? I thought I had learned that I'm not to speak harshly to anyone. I thought I was supposed to get past that. I thought I was supposed to have learned what it meant to walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You would think that I'd know that by now. I mean, I had memorized it 25 years ago. Or more, more than 25 years ago. I memorized it. You know, I, I, I once had one young man sit in my office. He says, you apologize too much. So what do you mean? He says, you know, you, you're always apologizing to people. I said, well, I do wrong. He says, well, just stop doing wrong. <laughs> the problem is, he doesn't have the Holy Spirit in him. He can't see. He can't yet see. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, what I say to you is just, it's just blinded. But if you have come to that point where the Holy Spirit resides within, He is constantly speaking to us and saying, you are to bear fruit. Good fruit. Fruit that benefits others. Where something comes out of you and blesses another. If that's not coming out of you, if you're not bearing fruit that now goes and blesses another, you are going to dry up. All of this comes in the community of the body of Christ. If you are not an active part of the community of the body of Christ, your life will begin to dry up. I have seen it again and again. Young people in college, they attend their campus group. They never really learn what it is to become a part, an active giver to the community. But they attend and they think they're all right. So then what happens is, they get a little older, they get married, they start going to church, then they stop going. Because it's busy, you know, being married, and they have these little kids that make it very difficult to get to church on time. And so they start skipping church and say, well, we have church at home. Okay, well, what do you do? Well, we read the Bible. Well, how often do you do that? Well, it gets less and less often. And they start losing touch with the community in the body of Christ. 
And then what happens is problems start in the marriage and the kids don't start, don't take seriously church and the other things because it really wasn't something serious to the parents. I mean, kids see through hypocrisy better than anyone else. You, you can snooker anyone but a kid. They will see right through hypocrisy. Right through it. And, and, uh, uh, and so then the life progresses away from bearing fruit. In the community of the body of Christ, there is the constant encouragement through the preaching of the Word, through the Scriptures, through the meditation on the Word of God with others in the community. That, oh, my life is not where it should be. I'm not as good as I think I am. I've got some real problems here. This comes through the community of the body of Christ. What you have, what you have offered to you on a silver platter is the community of the body of Christ. And it is an absolute treasure, an absolute treasure being offered to you saying, in this, in this is the secret to a happy and successful marriage, to a happy and successful parenthood, to a happy and successful career, and to a happy and successful life that you will look back on and say, I thank God. That's all here in this treasure that's offered to you. And what most people do is they say, I don't need that. I know just as well as that other person. Let me tell you, after you and I are long gone from this earth, and there is no nothing on this earth that remembers us, this book, this book, the Bible and the principles here will still remain. And will still be taught as true. This word is true. Everything else will be found wrong. All your little philosophies on how you get married and how you do this and how you do that, if it's against this word, I guarantee you, yours will be found wrong. This book will remain. This is offered to you in the community of the body of Christ. Jesus says, bear fruit, because if you don't, if something doesn't come out of you to bless others on a regular basis, so that as people are going by, and the Bible says you are to be ready in season and out of season in 2 Timothy 4.2. Be ready in season and out of season. That means that even when I don't feel good, I'm not in a particularly good mood. And you know, that can happen to me often. And professors aren't like pastors. Pastors have to be nice all the time. They always have to be smiling. Professors don't have to be, and people expect, well, you know, he's just a typical professor. He's just grumpy. No, but the Bible calls us to be different, to be different, to manifest a different life, so that when we do wrong, the Holy Spirit just reminds us. And you know what happens? It keeps us from shriveling up and dying. It keeps us from shriveling up and looking really ugly. And so you get the Word of God in your life, and there's a brightness there. This is what's offered to you in the community of the body of Christ. If you forsake this community and think that you're going to take this book and on your own raise up your family, raise up your children, and be a good spouse, be warned. You will probably dry up because it happens in the community of the body of Christ, in the fellowship of the body of Christ. This is an absolute treasure that is being presented to you. Don't push away this gift. Don't disregard the gift of the community of the body of Christ where a pastor may be speaking and says something that just pierces right to your heart and don't say, he's offended me. Well, good, that means you needed to be offended. 
If you were alright, it wouldn't have offended you. It means that you have that problem. Good. Let the pastor speak many offensive things to us. Let the Word of God just zero right in on our hearts. Or what will you do? Will you tear out every page of the Bible that so convicts you and offends you? Where will you go? This is what the body of Christ is for. It says in 2 Timothy, that same portion, it says the world, you know what they do? They acquire for themselves teachers who tickle their ears. That means people say, you're okay and I'm okay. We're all okay. Rather than someone says, you have this problem. And that's what the Word of God does. And that's why people will talk about some force, some ethereal thing. Even God, you may be okay. But as soon as you mention Jesus Christ in the Bible, what's the problem with that? People say they don't like that. Why? Because Jesus Christ and the Bible hold us accountable for our actions. Unlike anything else. You can say, oh, God's speed. That's okay. But you say Jesus Christ and the Bible, they want that silenced. Why? Because Jesus Christ and the Bible hold us responsible for our actions. So much so, it says, if you don't forgive others, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. I don't like the sound of that. Well, that's what it says. If you don't forgive others, your Heavenly Father will not forgive you. That's why it says, when you stand praying, just remember to forgive others because your Heavenly Father is standing there and forgiving you of tons of stuff that you don't even know about, that you haven't even yet confessed. You say, well, I've confessed all known sin. Well, good. That's fine to do. But there's a ton of unknown sin that you haven't confessed of and God still forgives you. And that's why when somebody does something to you and you say, well, I'll forgive them as soon as they come and ask forgiveness. Well, you're going to be waiting a long, long time because guess what? Very rarely will they come. The unbelievers will almost never come. The Christians will rarely come. But we are to forgive whether or not they ask forgiveness. Because remember, there's a ton of things that we have done. You say, well, you don't know anything about it. Give it a few years. Things will surface. That, uh-oh, I didn't know I was doing so wrong. This is the struggle that happens within mankind. This is common to all people. Common to all people. And Jesus says, you are to bear fruit. And your fruit is to remain. This is what I want you to be doing. And if you don't, you're going to shrivel up. God, help me. God, keep me from shriveling up. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, which reminds us always to be drawn closer to you, to be more like Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word that it just pulls no punches, but goes right into our hearts. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that resides within the hearts of the believer to remind us of what is truth and what is the right way. What is the way that you are having us go? Father, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, I pray for these young people that they would bear fruit, lest their lives shrivel up, that through the community of the body of Christ, lest they go through marriage after marriage in failure. 
job after job, relationship after relationship, one after another failing because they failed to obey your word. Father, I pray that they would take hold of your word at this young age and so walk accordingly to it. May your grace abound, the grace of God abound on their lives. Father, I commit them to you for good. In the name of Jesus, amen.